Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This is Mandy and the F-Bomb. Trying to. Yeah. Every day. And I will tell you, that's, I think that was part of what, like a trigger for me whenever I started, whenever I came here, I interned at the DA's office, so representing the department. And um, Mr. Hudson, I love that man so much. Wait. Will Hudson. Mike, do oh. we need to oh. reset the camera before she goes into Mr. Hudson's story? <clears throat> fine. This is all part of the healing process, is talking oh about it. Oh, my gosh. I was not prepared for this this morning. I'm sorry. No, don't apologize. Girlfriend, you are a miracle. You're a miracle. And it's not just because you survived what you went through. There are so many wonderful, awesome survivors, and that is a miracle in itself. But you didn't just survive. Yeah. You're trying to bring people along with you. And that, that's a big deal. Girl, you're making me cry. Now stop it. I was just starting to, like, dry up a little bit. I just am sitting here just taking it in. I'm so, I feel so very honored to get to know you and get to know your story. Like, Thank it's you. not even, you're not even done talking. And I'm like, oh, you know, man, it, I get to know the coolest, best people in the whole world. You know, for years, like, really years, my whole life, up and probably until I came, well, came to Waco and really actually probably until I started working with Will in 2019. My story was embarrassed, was an embarrassment. I was ashamed. I was embarrassed um, because everything about my story, nothing about it, it's, it is really good to, in my opinion, just based on everything that I went through. And then it was like, maybe I'm just being punished because I'm just a bad person deep down. And I just don't realize it. Um, and you know, cause that's, trying to figure out like you know why why bad things happen to good mm -hmm. people mm -hmm. <laughs> you know that whole thing and it's just I never wanted to tell anybody about my time in foster care and um about whenever I ran away and whenever I got back and they took Cameron from me that was that's something that I'm still very new at telling people telling that part of the story because it's I feel so ashamed because I was making poor choices. I left to go try to find something better to put me and my child in a better spot because no one, my caseworkers never came up to Phoenix to check on me. My Casa, bless her heart, I love her, but she never came up to check on me. I was alone. Mm. Um, and no one else was going to give 
give me anything better. I had to get it for myself. And so it's been something that I don't, I've just never told people. And then and that brings it to Will, the whole Will part of it. Whenever I was entering the DA's office, Will coming into the courtroom, always asking me, what are you doing after law school? What are you doing after law school? I had no idea what I was going to do after law school. I mean, I'd always thought I'd just end up back in East Texas with, you know, living with my sister and her family and just, you know, working and trying to take a vacation or, I don't know, something. Just I didn't really think that far. I really didn't want to do have anything to do with CPS because CPS has always brought me so much emotional pain. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, he made me an offer I couldn't refuse, and I like the Waco area. Um and so I was like, okay, I'll do this for a little bit and then, you know, figure out my way from there, you know, because I still have to take the bar exam and do all this stuff. Um, Will's amazing because I failed the bar exam three times before I could pass. And that was that's also an embarrassment. Um, I didn't go to Baylor. I didn't – I don't have family money. I worked 40 hours a week studying for the bar and taking care of children. My oldest had joined the military. And so then there's all those feelings and emotions when your when your oldest child leaves the nest. And um, so there was a lot going on. And I'll be the first to admit, like I studied, but I probably didn't study as much as what I could have or should have because paying my bills and keeping my car from getting repossessed was mm-hmm. kind of a top priority. Um, and And that's embarrassing. Mm. You know, when you're in a field with people who – are financially stable, it's hard to be like, yeah, I'm barely making it, barely living paycheck to paycheck. Like I, I'm struggling to buy groceries right now. Well, and and listen, girlfriend, I don't want to invalidate your feelings because your feelings are valid. But from the outside looking in, there's zero shame in that. It is so freaking brave for you to push on and keep trying. You could have given up so many times and not just given up taking the bar, just given up doing the next right thing. You just keep trying to do the next right thing and then you get pushed down again and then you just get up and try to do the next right thing. And there are so many people that would have just been like, oh, forget it. Like, this is just, this is bull. I don't want to do this anymore. But you just kept doing it, and it's such a, <clears throat> it's a different, um, it's a different ball of wax. Whenever you do have the resources and you have the stability um, to be able to do something um, as luxurious as take the bar exam, because that's what it is, is, and you know this because not only have you been through trauma, but you've worked with people who have been through trauma. It is really difficult to focus on parts of life that are luxuries. Whenever you aren't sure if you're going to be able to have a roof over your head or have transportation so that you can go to work to feed your family. And those are survival things. So if your foundation of survival is not stable, how? How are you supposed to put time and energy and mental resources into doing something like taking the bar exam? But you did it anyway. Girlfriend, from this side... That is not shame. That is so freaking brave. 
I, I appreciate that. My therapist told me that I live, I have lived my whole life in survival mode. That's true. And I would agree with her. And she made me box that up and put it away because that's not part of my life anymore. Mm-mm. And she's right. Um, and past that, but I try with my clients that are parents, I always tell them this road that you're on is not easy. And it, it's probably the hardest road. And you're going to have days that you want to give up and you just want to quit because you don't see a light at the end of the tunnel. You you know, you wake up and you call and people tell you no. Mm-hmm. People tell you no. People tell you no all day long. Mm-hmm. And so it makes you not want to get up the next day. Mm-hmm. But you have to. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I always try to share stories from my life with my clients to help them understand. Like, I'm not telling you this from a perspective of someone that doesn't know. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you this from a perspective of someone who's been there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if that helps or not or if I'm not sure but for some of my clients I feel like it helps them to trust me mm-hmm. to know that I'm just not there you know collecting a paycheck or because I have to be I legitimately care about every single one of my clients yeah um, I'm vested in them and their stories and their lives mm-hmm. and and I always at the end of the day if they don't get their kids back or if they do which is amazing I hope that they learn things and they can you know change some things in their life to give them a better life yep to help them heal um and break the cycle yeah breaking the cycle is the big is the big thing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so before we go into like you um coming to Waco and I guess you kind of said that you came to Waco because you were um given an offer you couldn't refuse and now you are representing parents Primarily. Primarily, here in here in Waco. Um, well, <clears throat> so we should back up just a little okay. bit. Whenever I was working with Will, he was um, he got on the parent list mm-hmm. during COVID because removals were it was just crazy overwhelmed, and so I've been helping him with his caseload. Mm-hmm. And then whenever I got licensed, um, I started handling his caseload primarily on the legal side of things because before that it was more just like I you know tracking down services I have a Mm -hmm. really old book of like Waco services probably from like 2000 but it was the only resource I could find Mm -hmm. Um, but now I have a whole you know group of people with resources so it makes it so much easier Um, and then I started taking cases in Coriel County and I represent parents there Um, Mm -hmm. I have like one ad litem case there Mm -hmm. Um, and then I'm going to start a couple more counties there. And I had started some in Bell County, but I got off the list in Bell County. That's a whole other conversation. Yeah. Not, not for the air, though. Not for the air, yeah. Um, so There are lots of counties um, that are just so overwhelmed. Oh, absolutely. So it's, it's I, yeah. It, you know, and there are kids that really need help and families that really need help. And then there are families that just need little bits of help and yeah, and so it's but the system right now is. I know, so but those families that need the little bits of help, those are the ones I wish, wish, wish we had um, enough caseworkers um, for those families that just need a little bit of help before they, you know, they don't get the help, that little bit of help that they need, mm-hmm. and then it turns into they turn into a family that needs a ton of help. No, absolutely. So. Well, and that's what family-based safety service is supposed to be for, but I don't know that 
I don't know much ab- about McLennan County Family-Based Safety Services, but, mm-hmm. you know, I've, over the years, essentially, I don't know that that gets utilized enough. Yeah. Well, yes. For, what, for whatever reason. I mean. So from what I've um, heard speaking to some caseworkers and what I've observed, um, um, family-based safety service it's a little bit um, fluid, and whether it's FBSS cases or even just removals and stuff like that, um, policies are changing so quickly that it's kind of like what it what are the rules? What is the time frame? What is what are the parameters? What are the and so what I've seen is it's almost um, the word is it's not easier. That's not what I mean, but. Um, Sometimes it seems like um, it is the safer option to go full out an actual case instead of FBSS because there's more structure in that. And I don't, and I'm not saying I think that it's the best thing, but what I've seen is like sometimes um, because it, it's so fluid there that that seems to be something that happens because there is like more structured parameters. I don't know. Yeah, I. Does that make sense? Like it, it does in a sense, and I think, like for me, from from my viewpoint, because obviously we have different perspectives. You know, it's like the safer option for the department is to just do a removal. That's well, and that's right. what I'm saying. You know, so and, and and I'm and I don't mean like caseworkers are going. Well, it's just easier for us to just. But what I'm saying is no. that like um, I don't think that it's easier or best for the family. What I'm saying is that sometimes what I've heard or have observed that the, it is a more reliable, um, familiar option to just do a, a formal removal than just stick to the FBSS stuff. Does that make sense? No, okay, because cool. when the kids are in the home with the parents, there's always – there's much more concerns as far as risk goes. And then if anything happens to the children and unfortunately Waco had, you know, right before COVID baby Frankie, that incident happened Mm -hmm. and that always puts CPS on high alert. But then at the same time, not every family is that family. And whenever I was in East Texas doing CPS, we had awesome family-based safety services workers. And, and maybe it's because we're like, I don't want to say less caseload because we had tons of caseload, like tons of parents mm-hmm. and stuff. But I think the mindset of the workers was different because most mm-hmm. of the workers had been there for a while. Yeah, you know well, that, it, that matters. The, like the culture of the environment yeah, that you work in, it, even if it's still CPS. Absolutely, it's like different regions yeah. or different um, counties are are different cultures. And also, I'd like to say that the FBSS stuff that I was talking about. I've got friends all over Texas, so it's definitely I'm not talking about McLennan County right. specifically. Yeah, no, it's just in it's kind of like every line of work that you get into. You have people mm-hmm. like take attorneys. You have brand new attorneys that mm-hmm. like don't know anything, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's and you know, and everything is just very much they want it to fit inside of this perfect little mm-hmm. box. Let's say of the of the black and white letter yeah. of the law, and that's like a new worker as well. Yeah. But then you've get you know, the lawyers that have been lawyering for like yeah. 20 plus years and they're like, ah, oh, no, this is what we're, you know, yeah. and, and you get create, they get creative and they find, you know, whatever, you know, just to have like a solution. Dynamic solutions. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's the big difference now is that everyone's really concerned with, you know, 
I don't want to just say liability, but just that that public's view of them, mm-hmm. you know, and I guess no one really cares what goes on in East Texas because we're out there like just helping families and just everything was so tailored towards that family and preventing a removal because it's so much paperwork. Um, so, and it's just, I don't know, I kind of feel like we're steering away from taking care of people and helping people and just more moving towards like, what's the easiest, fastest solution yes. right now in this moment? Yes. That is a very, that's a much more concise way of saying what I said. Yes. Is. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So. But we don't pay attention to the damage. I think that's what it boils down to. We don't pay attention to the damage that it causes children because everyone kind of feels like when kids are little, there's not going to be any damage. But there is. Absolutely. There's damage no matter what the age. And. I mean, even for me, being a teenager and kind of knowing a little bit more about what's going on in the circumstances, Mm -hmm. there's still damage there, Mm -hmm. trauma. Absolutely. You know, it's still there. And so it's, you know, one thing that I always, I harp on a lot is I hate it when kids get moved from placement to placement to placement. Mm Mm-hmm. Because what does that do? I mean, I mm-hmm. I literally just went you know. through me. Like, I mm-hmm. I know what that does. Um, yeah. So what can we do to stop that? Yeah. You know, or to, or to limit that, to make it less. Um, mm-hmm. So, and I, and I tell, like, my parents that, too. I tell them about, like, the trauma that their kids are going through. Mm-hmm. And so, and a lot of times, me telling them about that, Mm-hmm. It it motivates them to move a little bit quicker with yeah. getting things yeah. getting things done because if you don't know and you've never been through mm-hmm. it, you don't know. You just don't know what you don't know. Yeah, I mean, that's all it boils mm-hmm. down to. And so I guess part of why I'm okay with telling my story more now is so you know. And th- and that's so important and. <laughs> It's why this person over here who gets to host a podcast who had never listened to podcasts, that's why I'm doing it is because, gosh, stories are so important. Stories are so important. And it is um, hearing these real stories that allow people who do or don't have involvement with the foster care system right now some insight that may give them some um, emotional liability in this situation and go, oh my gosh, like I had no idea. And once you know, you know. And that doesn't mean necessarily that you need to become an ad litem or a CASA or even a foster parent. But it does mean, and so this led, it's leading to where I'm going. Um, you saying what you just said is you don't know. But once you do know, man, there are so many things that people can do. There's so very many things that people can do. And it's not just the extremes of becoming a foster parent or getting involved at that level. Um, we need a whole community to support people who are saying, yes, I will, I will foster, or yes, I will be an emergency placement home, or whatever it is, because the kids that are being removed and placed in these homes are the message, if we've got families that are going, I really think I can do it, but then they don't have the support that they need to 
care for themselves, right, themselves and their own emotional and mental stability so that they can care for the children that are coming into their home that are coming from hard places and may have hard behavior because they're coming from hard places. If they can't maintain their own mental, the parents can't maintain their own mental and emotional stability, they are not going to be able to care for these kids. And so it is so meaningful whenever people go, yeah, uh, sure, I will do your grocery run for you. Sure, I will watch kids get certified so that you can have a date night. Sure, I'll whatever it is, you may think that it's little, but you have no idea what even someone going, hey, I'm thinking of you. I, so I did this little minute thing that I think that doesn't really matter. But it matters because you're like, oh, okay, somebody sees me. Okay, I can keep on going. And so it makes it to where their foster experience is more sustainable so that they can be a more stable, sustained foster home for the kids that come into their care. And I wonder, and I have no idea of the situation, but I wonder, and I know it's not the fix-all for everything. And now, a word from our sponsors. The family from church or your English teacher. What if they had a better community support? What if they were better equipped? And maybe not in your case, but like, I I just freaking wonder if we were all a little bit more involved. I think that my first, my English teacher, I think that if, if she had been better, or if they had been better equipped for kind of knowing what baggage I was bringing, Mm -hmm. you know, and the whole thing is like, you can't expect a 14-year-old to talk because I don't even really know what's mm-hmm. going on with all of me because yeah. I'm trying to survive and take care of a child, mm-hmm. you know, and and I think the level of expectation oftentimes in foster home or in those foster homes, mm-hmm. the expectation was that I am their child mm-hmm. and then my son is their child, mm-hmm. but my son is my child and mm-hmm. and that caused some issues in itself as well, because my son can't become my brother because he's my son. Mm-hmm. Like it, it doesn't work like that. Mm-hmm. And, and that was something um, that was wanted and yeah. Yeah. And so that, and so that's really difficult, but um, as far as people in the community and helping and stuff, you know, a little bit of kindness goes a long way. And I have, Tons of parents who have had their children removed that when they're trying trying to get help, um, and they have to explain on a housing application that CPS currently has their kids, but they you know they need housing to get them back, and um, they don't get treated well. Mm. None of them get treated well if mm. they have to go for anything. As soon as C- you know CPS is spoken, the way people treat them changes because. Mm. If you are a parent and your child is removed, you must be a really bad person. And I think that just stories mm-hmm. and changing those mindsets a little bit to where it's like, maybe instead of saying this parent's a horrible person, maybe just be like, you know, this parent has probably made some mistakes and probably needs some help. Let me just be kind. Be yeah. kind. <laughs> yeah. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Well, I know we've had conversa- like brief conversations about how um, we are on the same page whenever it comes to um, parents. Um, and we're, we're not talking foster parents here, guys. We're talking about um, biological parents of kiddos that um, get removed. Um, but we are absolutely on the same page. And, and it, so, again, um, I'm sure you have lots of stories um, I don't have as many of you as you for sure, but I'll tell you that 90% of the stories that I'm thinking of in my head, whether I was, you know, directly involved um, hearing them or have heard them from other friends that are, are foster parents, we're not talking about biological parents that are monsters and terrible, evil people. We are talking about parents that may be a product of the system themselves, um, maybe are having a really hard time breaking cycles of poverty or um, lack of education or abuse or addiction or whatever it is that are just not equipped and really are, from their perspective, making the best decisions that they know how to make. Now, does that mean that they're the best decisions for the kids and they're the safest decisions? Probably not. But some of these parents, the choices that they're making that seem obviously not great choices to us, they're the best choices that they see in front of them. And so until they're given um, better perspective, some kindness and compassion, and shown that there are different choices to make, they're trapped in the cycle of making the very best choice that they can. And sometimes those choices aren't the safest choices. And so I think, like you said, just stories matter because for the most part, I really think that we're all just trying to do our our very best. I would absolutely 100% agree. And, you know, the education and or not even not formal education, but just talking to parents and <clears throat> biological parents, I guess I should help with that. Um, and I... Every foster parent that's been on your show, like, I love them because I love their their caring hearts and how much they, you know, while they love these children, they're willing to let them go because that's their parents. And if Absolutely. And, and, I, and I love that because I have experienced stuff on the opposite end that breaks my heart. And yeah. so hearing, hearing their stories that they really push for that or even just trying to build a relationship mm-hmm. with the biological parent to show that support, that's tremendous to me because not everybody gets that um but you know one thing that 
you ever have like your kids, you, they want something, you tell them no, and they're like, why? Mm-hmm. And it's like, because I said so. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes, it's what these parents are dealing with, with, with CPS. And that's not, I'm, I'm not trying to fault anybody here or fault CPS for things, but there's not enough communication about the why this is important that you do this. Why okay. this change is important to you. Because there are some things that are done and they're, say, culturally appropriate and it's, yeah. it's a cycle. Yeah. But it's not necessarily the best thing. It's not the healthiest thing. But it's like you have to stop doing that. But why? You okay. Know, you, you know, but it's like, but why do I have to do it? Just because. Because I said so. Because, you know, but there's never any good. There's a gap in the understanding of what. So CPS, who are trained and know stuff about child development and, like, what is safe for kids and stuff like that and what may seem obvious mm-hmm. to... You and I. Exactly. Yeah. And definitely to people involved th- that are working for CPS. People that it's are trained. Obvious. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's yeah. not obvious at all mm-hmm. to people who are so deep in these cycles that this is just what's what happens. One more time. We're just Hi. wrapping up, babe. I would say, like, take, for instance, um, you know, if you have a number of children in the household, having a six- or seven-year-old help care for younger children, Mm -hmm. for some families, that's just the way it's always been. That's what Mm great-grandma did with grandma. That's what grandma, you know, did with her Mm -hmm. kids, and that's what mom did with us. But then looking at it now, like, for me personally, I don't think that it's healthy to have essentially a small child responsible for younger children because I mm-hmm. think it happened. And I think the world's changed enough that it's not necessarily the safest to leave a bunch of young children home alone. Mm-hmm. But for years that was okay and acceptable. Yeah. So instead of just saying, you can't do this because mm-hmm. I said you can't do it, let's talk about why you mm-hmm. can't do this or why you shouldn't do this or what could happen mm-hmm. as a result. But everyone, I don't know if it's just everyone's so busy. So mm-hmm. it's just always a... This needs to happen, mm-hmm. and you have to do it. And I can't ask why. Yeah. And I ask why and mm-hmm. a lot. And I always try to break it down for parents because some of them don't understand um, things that have always been done, mm-hmm. and it's never been an issue before, and now all of a sudden it's an issue, mm-hmm. you know, trying to explain why that's not best for the kids. And, and it's hard, and it takes a lot of time. Yeah. And we can't get more time in a day. And I'm, I'm not really sure what the solution is except mm-hmm. for, you know, un- more understanding. More understanding, consistency, which, again, takes time. Yeah. And takes time to build relationships. And I think that that's – and I, I don't mean to simplify it at all because these are very complex um, situations. Every single case is complex and different and its own kind of unique animal. But I think that – What's hard um, is that what it really takes, I think, to enact um, change a lot of times is trust built in a relationship. That this person that is telling me what needs to happen so that I can do the thing I most want to do, have my children back with me, has my very best interests at heart has my kids best interests at heart and that takes a lot of time to build that trust and that repertoire between two people and our workers 
They don't have a lot of time and they don't have a lot of mental capacity to do that right now in the specific thing or the specific situation um, that we've got going on as far as the capacity crisis. Well, but even with the workers, it's, I guess it's my experience because we all know that there's a hierarchy in CPF. Mm -hmm. So if you as the worker that's visiting with the family, you're building all this trust and you're, because I know some amazing workers that put tons of time, effort, and energy in. And And their own resources. Yes, and their own resources. And they're Mm -hmm. just out there. And then, you know, say something happens, and it's not really like a huge thing, because I see this happen where sometimes things happen. It's not like the worst thing in the world. Mm -hmm. But from a CPS higher-up standpoint, well, that just puts a whole other level of risk in. Mm -hmm. And so then now that worker has to go back and tell that family that, hey, you know, things might be changing. Mm-hmm. So all that trust that was built, you know, just yeah. kind of goes down because now I can't trust you anymore. And that's mm-hmm. why, you know, that's why there's more than just a, a worker. Mm-hmm. You know, hopefully you have CASA yeah, um, or you have a guardian ad litem and an attorney ad litem. And, have- and one day I'm going to have you on and we're going to yeah. talk about CASA oh and, gosh, yeah. and your experience with that as as a youth, but also as an attorney now, because I want to hear all about that. But I, I'll, I will tell you everything about my. <laughs> I, yeah, but but yeah, but we but, have this team of right. But we have mm-hmm. all these people, and so it's like, so I always tell the caseworkers that I work with, like, you don't have to do everything. Yeah, you can ask me for things. If you need to ask my client a really hard question about something, because some people don't like to talk about their baby daddies. Mm -hmm. I don't. Mm -hmm. You know, so I will talk to them about that because, Mm -hmm. and I'll get you the information that you need because, you know, if you don't have all that trust built Mm -hmm. up there, when you're talking to someone about something that's very intimate and deep, I don't know what you're going to do with that information. Yeah. And so how can you use it against me? Right. And because that's what it is, is like, how are you going to use this against me to take my kids from me for forever and never return them? And, Mm -hmm. you know, so I try to, I put a lot of time into my work and my cases and build those relationships. So the caseworkers know that if they need something, or if I have a parent that's given them attitude or being difficult or not doing their services, Mm -hmm. instead of just letting it sit until the next court hearing, no, they call me, they text me. They email me, they they contact me and like, hey, I'm trying to get this done. Do you know what's going on? You know, because sometimes people are doing really well and then they just disappear. Mm-hmm. And I don't want the people to disappear because if you disappear, it means that you kind of hit a roadblock and now you're hiding and you might be giving up. And I don't want you to give up because a roadblock's not the end of the world. And so, and then on the other side of that with my parents um, that I work with, I tell them, all I need you to do is focus on you and doing your stuff. You don't have to fight with the department. That's my job. Mm-hmm. You meet with them. You you be kind. You be courteous. You listen to what they have to say. Mm-hmm. If you have questions or if something doesn't make sense, you call me. Mm-hmm. You know, because a lot of times they'll call me, and then I already know what the worker was trying to say just because of my mm-hmm. experience. So I'm like, oh, this – and then it's mm-hmm. like it's all good. When it's hard. Like yeah. whenever you're in the middle of trauma, I can imagine mm-hmm. these parents – Hearing what the workers are saying, and everything is filtered through fear Absolutely. and trauma, and how is this going to negatively impact me? And this is, and so I can imagine, even if it's a benign, you yeah. know, some some benign information or a benign request, it's automatically they've got their hackles up with good reason. Yeah. And so to have someone to be like, can you translate this into what they really meant? 
Yeah. Um, and you can come at it from a neutral standpoint. Like, here's really what was happening. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, again, all of that is understandable. And like why stories are important, because I think it's, you know, we don't think about this all the time, uh, about what, what the filter is that um, these parents have to employ as they are going through this process. And then plus, you know, and I don't want to blame everything on COVID, but, you know, COVID, we have less face-to-face in person. Mm-hmm. So, and when you're on the phone with someone, you don't see their facial expressions, you don't see their body language. And so messages often get missed. Oh, yeah, lost in translation. Up. Yeah, mm-hmm. because, you know, or if your cell phone surface is cutting out and then you, you think you heard and a lot of, I, I've realized a lot of parents, and I struggle with this too, no one wants to sound like they're stupid yep. or feel like they're stupid. And so a lot of people won't ask questions yep. because if I ask you a question, it's going to reveal my ignorance. You're, you're going to think that I'm, I'm dumb for asking this question because what you said was so clear, but in reality, mm-hmm. what they said wasn't clear it at wasn't all. It wasn't clear. And you're well, not, not from not, someone yeah. who, it's not clear to someone who's never been involved right. in something like this before. So I, I think that that's right yeah. as well. Goodness gracious. When it comes to, to testify and I always Tell them, like, don't be afraid to ask an attorney to rephrase a question or to word it differently if you don't understand it. Mm-hmm. Don't try to guess Mm-mm. because then you're going to answer something completely different than mm-hmm. what it was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. I was like, because even me, mm-hmm. I'll be trying to ask a question and then another question pops into my head and then it all just kind of like splitches together and it's mm-hmm. like this weird and it makes no sense. And I'm like, I might do that. Don't try to answer that because (laughs) it's not a real question. It's just my brain moving faster um, than my mouth can speak. So just Mm -hmm. or opposite, one of the two. Because um, attorneys can make mistakes. Oh, absolutely. Um, And I think that's something, and exactly what I was going to go to is that's something that I think all of us need to remember um, as we're thinking of kids involved in care and families involved in care and the workers and the items and CASA and just everyone involved is, again, I don't mean to sound naive because I know that there are extreme cases, but I think for the most part, we are all just trying to do our best. And sometimes our best measures up great. And sometimes it just really doesn't. But if we're coming from a place of we're, we're just trying to do our best, I think that I think that we'll have a good foundation to jump off from. Yeah. And- Absolutely. I think slowing down, taking the time to realize that everybody comes from a different, Mm -hmm. everyone, okay, I'm sorry, let me back up for just a second. I had this quote that I just love, Mm -hmm. and it's, perception is reality. Everybody's perception is their reality. That's right. And we all perceive things differently based on our life experiences. Mm -hmm. And so I had difficulty at times because I would be like upset at an ad litem or CASA or Mm -hmm. even the judge, like, why can't they just see this? It's so clear that this is what's happening. And I I would get so angry. Mm -hmm. And then now I'm changing and backing up a little bit and realizing like, it's not, I mean, they don't see it, but they don't see it because they don't, they don't know because they don't have your unique experience. Yeah. They don't have my background. Mm -hmm. They don't see things through my eyes. They see things through theirs. So what can I do to help give them information or, Mm -hmm to share with them, to help them maybe see things from a little bit different perspective. Yeah. And so that's kind of been a focus of mine is 
and then also why I've become more willing to just share my story because mm-hmm. um, these parents are me. Mm-hmm. These vile parents are me. And, you know, I like on your show because everyone always talks about, like, this could be my life. And if my attorney hadn't have told the judge, you know, what I needed and what I wanted, I could be a mom with rights terminated. Mm-hmm. Um, and I probably wouldn't be in this position. Mm-hmm. I was so close so many times to just giving up, and which would be perfectly socially acceptable based on my history. Like, no one would think anything bad of me if I never completed college and I lived in low-income housing and I got food stamps and Medicaid and cash assistance. Like, no one would think twice about it because look at my history. It's okay. I mean, it's, you know, we are always one decision away from being in a totally different position. And that's why it's, I think more, just more understanding, more knowledge and knowing. And, um, one thing I tell parents a lot and I, I told Mike this this morning, um, no one wakes up in the morning and is like, Hey, I'm going to go use meth today. No one thinks that. There is no child that decides that I'm going to grow up and that's going to be my life. Right. No, that's yep. that's not a thing. That's right. It's a series of, you know, I would say a series of unfortunate events, which I'm sure is copyrighted because it's books, but it's what it is. Um, yeah. But it's just things that happen that push us. And then, you know, when people don't understand and when you constantly get knocked down every single day, you know, from everybody, whether it's people in the grocery store being rude or you're trying to go to the child support office to get help and people are rude or you're you know, getting gas or, you know, then you lose your debit card and then you run over your cell phone. It's just like the worst day in the world and everything's gone. And then there's someone that you don't really know, but that comes around, you know, with friends that breaks mm-hmm. down and uses your weakness. And that's not a real story. I was just making yeah. up stuff, but that uses that and uses, gets you when you're in your weakest moment. That's right. And then it's like, while this didn't make anything in my life better, it helped me to forget things. Mm-hmm. And forgetting things. Oh, man, that is the most addictive medicine, isn't it? Yeah. Because if I don't think about it, then I don't have to deal with it. And then the problems get bigger. Yep. And then that's whenever we realize that, man. Mm -hmm. Then you're in an impossible situation. And you need help. And you need help. And then it's hard to accept help. It's hard to ask for the help. Mm -hmm. Because then you're dealing with all the shame. And you're admitting that you did something wrong. Oh, it's hard stuff. It is very hard stuff. (laughs) But with, and it's not always just um, an innate thing. It's, um, but I do think it, it, with the desire to dig out and a lot of times with, um, the right people coming across your path. We get some really, really cool stories yeah. that give other people hope. And they give, yeah, they give us the new perspective that we need. Mm-hmm. Your show helped me with some perspectives on some foster parents. 
Well, this particular episode is going to help so many people with perspectives. And I am floored. I am floored by your story. And I... I know we said it kind of off off air whenever Mike came in, but you, for the record, I just want to say oh. you are a miracle. You're a miracle. And it's not that you survived. And it's not even that you're an attorney. That's really great. It's what's inside you. It's you getting up again and again and again. And it doesn't stop there. You are linking arms with people to make sure that they get to come with you. That, that is amazing. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for sharing your story. Sorry. (laughs) Thank you for having me and thank you for letting me share it. It's, I'm not fully 100% there yet, but I know that it is a story worth sharing. It is a story worth sharing. And you just keep telling yourself that until you believe it. Yes, that's what I'm doing. Thank you. I'm glad that you realized that. Yep. Because it's true. My whole drive here, I was telling myself that. It is a story worth sharing. And it is a story that I needed to hear. Thank you so much. And at the end of every episode, I ask my my people what their F-bomb moments are. But I think your whole life is an F-bomb moment. Um, it really is. Of, of how foster care changed your life. So I'm not going to put you on the spot because I feel like you've already shared so much. But I yeah. want to tell you that this episode is an F-bomb moment for me. Thank you so much. I'm just going to stop talking now because I'm <laughs> like I'm too much right now. All right, guys, we will see you next time. Mandy and the F-Bomb is produced by Rogue Media. Make sure to like and follow us on social media, and you can find our show anywhere you get podcasts or at roguemedianetwork.com. This has been a Rogue Media podcast. Podcast.